Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo O'Neill, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and we are here to help you, our listeners, all around, everywhere we go, every time we're on the air, it's our obligation, our responsibility to help you know and impact the world around you. And uh, you're always welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. As you know, there's several ways you can do so. The primary way is if you'd like to get your thoughts, insights, uh, commentary, dialogue on the air live, you may call 347-237-5230. That is the number to call for that. Also, you can follow us on the Facebook page at Zero Network on Facebook and uh, catch up on archive shows on there. You can also... Uh, Follow us on Twitter, 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 <laughs> that was funny, Twitter, and the handle for the show is at Zira Radio, so you can uh, follow us when we make up the on that, and uh, if you'd like to get in touch with me personally, you can hit me up at pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com, and on the all, all other social media outlets that we are on, whatever it may be, we're glad that you are joining us, uh, I believe the chat room is open. Uh, I think it's open. Yeah, it's, it is. So you can also uh, get your thoughts in on the the chat line. Oh, I take that back. Uh, it is. Uh, the chat room will be open. <laughs> and so we'll make sure that you can get in on the chat room um, or if you're not able to join uh, by phone. Anyway, I'm excited about the show that we have coming up today. Um, a lot of things we're going to be talking about. A very, very interesting guest that we will have on the show, and I hope I don't massacre his name, uh, by Dr. Gleb Sapersky. I think I said it correctly. He'll correct me if I get it wrong. But he's an author. He's a coach. He is a scholar, academic. Uh, he's all over the place, and he's a well-respected person. And we're excited that he thought it was robbery to share with us this morning. On our show, we're going to be talking about intentional insights, which is something that he is doing, uh, about a truth pledge. We're going to be talking about um, alternative facts, <laughs> all kinds of things, because the world we are in right now, 
is just getting crazier and crazier, and I'm feeling like I'm on a, I'm a unwilling participant in a very, very bad uh, reality television show. But anyway, uh, just a few minutes, he'll be joining with us on the line, and um, you're always welcome to join with us, too. Um, I had some news. I, I was following around, and I used to try to get some news in, but um, I think I guessed this in, so we're going to go straight in uh, with, uh, uh, our guest, if he's available, and we're going to go ahead and try to get this interview rolling as best we can, but uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Webb, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. I'm hey. glad to be here. All right. I, I didn't want to prolong the interview. I wanted to get straight down to the nitty-gritty of our, of our conversation and our dialogue because I'm looking forward to this um, uh, for about the next 30 minutes or so to get, gain insight for you, from you about this interesting world that we live in. And I'm just glad that you are with us. So let's let's begin this, this show, uh, this interview by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Now, I've read up on you, and I've, I've, I found I find what I've read to be very interesting. So uh, can you sh- share with us a little bit about your beginning, where you're from, and all that stuff? Sure. Happy to do so, Lorenzo. And thanks again for having me on the show. So um, my origin is actually from the former Soviet Union, from the Republic of Moldova, which is now an independent country. Um, which Russia would like to take over, but it hasn't yet. (laughs) So I came from there when I was 10 with my family, and then I grew up in New York City. I got a degree in the history of behavioral science, PhD, and I'm a professor at Ohio State focusing on behavioral science and decision-making in politics and in business. So I, unlike most academics, I decided not to focus my efforts on just staying in the ivory tower, I wanted to get out there and actually improve people's lives (laughs) by helping them make better decisions and avoid disasters. So I started a nonprofit called Intentional Insights, which popularizes the research on avoiding disasters and making wise decisions in your everyday life, in business, in politics, and other areas, which uh, folks can check out at intentionalinsights.org. And we have a variety of authors writing for it, including uh, United Methodist Minister Caleb Pitkin, who writes about his how to apply behavioral science to religious experiences in the church world. So that might be particular, of particular interest to some folks who are listening to your show. But uh, my focus is more in business and politics, so I do some consulting for corporations and coaching and speaking about how to avoid disasters in business settings. That's one area. Then my civic activism, and I'm still a professor, so I teach about this stuff, and in my civic activism work, I try to fight post-truth politics for applying behavioral science strategies. And one of the things you mentioned is the Pro-Truth Pledge. It's at protruthpledge.org, which is intended to create, change the incentives in our political system, because right now the incentives in our political system are for politicians and other public figures to lie and get away with lying, and we see how effective it is in actually getting people elected and having a lot of power So with our current administration. So what we're trying to do with our pro-truth pledge is to change the incentives in order to penalize deception more and reward truth more. 
So changing okay. the incentives. Okay. I, I want to get back to that because um, I, I, I did take the pledge, and I'm going to uh, uh, later on, I'm going to make sure that uh, you give all of our listeners uh, an opportunity to do so also. But let, let's cycle back here. Yeah, you know, uh, I really want to get in this um, the uh, the truth, uh, the alternative facts, and the decision making. Uh, mm-hmm. Because as a pastor, part of my go- part of my role is to help people make better decisions. And I found I often find myself lacking sometimes in that because uh, my background is in education as well as in uh, uh, psychology. But I still feel ill-equipped sometimes to, <laughs> to in, in my own personal choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so explain to my audience a little bit, uh, what do you do and um, how do you come up, how do you train uh, persons to make this, these better decisions? What is, is there a strategy that you use? Is there mm-hmm. a formula? Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. Happy to do so. First of, first of all, as an offer to all of your listeners, if they email me at gleb at intentionalinsights.org, that's again G-L-E-B at intentionalinsights.org, I will send them a free tip sheet on decision-making, avoiding disastrous decisions, and avoiding project failures. So for anyone who emails me and tells me that they heard me on the Lorenzo Neal show, you will not have to pay for, this, for these two tip sheets, which you would have to pay for otherwise. So that's an offer for all of the listeners. And they go much more in depth into what I will, into how to make decisions than what I'm able to cover here. But for a very basic overview, we as human beings have, and you know this from your background in biology, in psychology, have two kinds of thinking. We have uh, the emotional, intuitive thinking, which is called the system one or the autopilot system mode of thinking. So it's our gut reactions, it's our intuitions, it's the flight or fight response. You know, and that is the when we want to escape a saber-toothed tiger in the savanna. Uh, so that's the you know, flight response or fighting when somebody attacks our tribe. And that's the brain that evolved. That's the part of our brain that's much more deep, much more emo- powerful, and that evolved in order to help us survive. Now, a much more recent part of the brain is the intentional system called System Two. I prefer the intentional system. And the intentional system of thinking is the more logical, the more conscious, and the more rational one. It's the one that we evolved to survive in social groups. So, for example, if you, hear, if you go to your boss and during the annual performance of you and you're getting constructive criticism, the temptation, the emotional, intuitive temptation, is to either stick your fingers in your ears and say, la, 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 I can't hear you, and that's the... Uh, that's the flight response, or to punch your boss in the mouth, and that's the fight response. But uh, our society wouldn't work very well if those were our responses, and you wouldn't be able to keep a job if that was your response. So that's where the intentional system, you could feel the strain of the intentional system. It takes a lot of effort and work to push down those emotions and to actually do the wise thing, make the wise decision to incorporate the boss's criticism and improve your performance. So we need to keep in mind that we're always working with these two systems and our emotions are always pushing us to make certain decisions. Oftentimes they're right. We want to jump out of the way of a moving car, <laughs> and, but we don't want to punch our boss in the mouth. So we have to think about which situations 
are not aligned with the savanna environment, you know, and where our intuitions and emotions will not help us and have to deliberately change our decision-making to be aligned with our goals. And that's the essence of avoiding disasters uh, through good decisions, making sure that your decisions are aligned with your long-term goals. That's kind of a very broad overview, and we can go delve into various aspects of decision-making as you wish, Lorenzo. Oh, okay. Now, when you, from, the, from the biological perspective, you know, I, I think particularly from a religious perspective, we skewed that because we, we you know, we kind of somewhat dismissed that part. Um, but from a social organizational perspective, how can an organization encourage um, all of, for example, me as a pastor, if I want to get a collective uh, body to make a unanimous decision, decision if, it's a, if that's even possible, what strategy would I use or mm-hmm. what uh, CEO, CEO use or something? Sure. So I'll give you some examples from my consulting, and it all has to do with these emotions and being aware of people's emotions. For example, uh, I'm currently working with a engineering company, a consulting company that has something like 200 staff and 150 engineers, and they're trying to get their engineers to do better marketing for the company. Now, as uh, I think your audience can probably imagine, engineers are not very happy about doing marketing. (laughs) That's not their favorite job in the world, and they are not excited about it. So because they're not excited about it, they're not enthusiastic they're not really willing to do it. And so the company offered them training in how to do marketing, and they got a lot of training, but they're still not doing it. So the company called me in and said, hey, what's up with our engineers? Are they just lazy or dumb? You know, why, why are they not doing marketing? How can we actually motivate them to do marketing? So I went in there, and I saw that they were trying to do motivate engineers to do marketing by saying it's for the company's benefit. You know, you need to do it for the organization. And that's not the way you appeal to people's uh, autopilot system. So they were making the wrong kind of communication to people's emotions. They weren't thinking about where people's emotions actually lie. So what I analyzed is, and saw is that engineers weren't motivated by you know, doing things for the good of the company. And I changed the language in how they spoke to engineers by saying, hey, you know, you, if you promote and market the company by going to conferences and talking about how good the company is and doing conference papers and thought leadership papers, you will be respected by your peers and you'll, people will care about you individually more and your reputation. And they will also have better associations with the company. They will be, uh, you will have, if they have better associations with the company, you will have better job prospects and just a better reputation in general. And after that intervention that I introduced into the company, next year the engineers published about 24% more papers and did more conference presentations. So I, simply by changing the language and by changing the way that you speak to the engineers through thinking about their emotions and where the emotions are, where the autopilot system is, you get them to change their behaviors in very powerful ways. That's an example. Another example, kind of what you asked for unanimous, how do you get a unanimous decision? Well, you see what people are afraid of and what blocks their decisions. It's usually not something that has to do with the intentional system. It's usually something emotional. 
For example, a lot of people are afraid of change, and change is a source of fear for people, a source of anxiety. And people want to hear that the future will be good and there will be okay in the future. And so you have to talk to them about how short-term pains will result in long-term gains for them as individuals. Because our autopilot system, the environmental, the one that grew up in the savannah, is very poorly oriented toward the long term, which is why we want to eat a second piece of cake even though we don't want, we shouldn't eat a second piece of cake. You know, it's oriented toward survival. So in my consulting, for example, I was trying, there was an organization that was trying to get its employees to change to a new performance management system. And the performance management system would be one that changed from an hourly per hour evaluation to team-based evaluation. And everyone in the company generally agreed that they want to go to a team-based evaluation, but they were afraid of the short-term consequences of the changes in performance, the instability. There were a number of people who were afraid of it. So what we did in the company is change uh, their evaluations so uh, to extend the process of um, evaluation when, they, when the management would actually make decision-making on this new evaluation system. So because they were afraid that because of these changes, they would get lower bonuses and lower salaries in the short term, and it would be more stressful. So by extending the evaluation process and saying, look, you won't get any lower bonuses and salaries for the next 12 months while this evaluation system is getting into place, you know, you'll get the same as you were getting previously, so that's fine, but let's get this new system into place. And uh, people were much happier and much more satisfied with that orientation, that, okay, we'll get this new system into place, we won't need to be afraid about getting lower salaries on an individual basis. So that's another way of thinking about it, of orienting toward the long term. So getting people oriented toward the long term through a variety of institutional mechanisms and addressing their fears and anxieties is fundamentally important to helping organizations of all sorts, whether it's a corporation, whether it's a church, anything to make better decisions. Also, that, that, you know, that, that is very insightful, <laughs> very, very insightful. Uh, you, you also uh, deal with emotional intelligence. And mm-hmm. I, I was really, when I was just listening to your answer, uh, I know, at least in the black church, uh, most of us are driven by our emotions. We we react emotionally to church services, doing church services, and oftentimes in our decisions, we we uh, we base our decisions decisions off emotions. So, um, how how much does emotional intelligence play in helping us make better decisions? And, uh, and this probably is a, a twofold question. Uh, Again, you know, from a religious perspective, what, um, how does my role affect a person's uh, understanding and uh, employment of their emotional intelligence in making better decisions? Yeah, I think that's a very important question. And so emotional intelligence, and let's talk about business first, and I'll give another example from my consulting experience. Being in emotional intelligence, first of all, the formal definition of emotional intelligence is knowing your emotions and being able to manage your emotions for the sake of reaching your goals. A separate concept is social intelligence, which is knowing the emotions of others 
and being able to manage their emotions in order to reach your goals. So let's. So we talked about that already. That's social intelligence. That's what we talked about before. When you figure out the emotions of others and manage them through various policies and incentives and language. Now let's talk about emotional intelligence in terms of your own emotions, knowing your emotions and managing them. So I was doing some executive coaching for a nonprofit leader, and this nonprofit leader. He was experiencing a lot of anxiety around the way that the nonprofit board of directors was treating him. They were very, they were quite harsh, and he had some mental health challenges, which, by the way, I'm in no way critical of. I myself experience mental illness as an anxiety disorder, and I go to therapy, and I take uh, prescription medication to make sure that I'm highly functioning. So he was a highly functioning person with a mental illness, as many people are. And even though they're not, they may not be public about it like I am. So he uh, wasn't willing to be public to his board about the anxiety he was experiencing because he was afraid that his board wouldn't support him. He was afraid that his board would be harsh toward him and they wouldn't uh, you know, address his actual needs. So I was convincing him, encouraging him for a long time to open himself up to his board and uh, he eventually did, and he was really surprised to find out how supportive the board was, and they were really helpful for him. But by the time he uh, actually did that, he was pretty burned out, and he couldn't manage. Uh, he had to resign shortly afterwards just because he was so burned out, and the board of directors and the nonprofit went through a pretty long and expensive search for a new executive director. So that's an example of where, not listen, where failing to listen to your emotions as this nonprofit executive did of a pretty sizable nonprofit, uh, which this was a faith-based nonprofit, of uh, values-based nonprofit. So he was, he really failed to listen to his emotions and be in touch with them, and therefore he harmed himself and the nonprofit for which he worked because he wasn't in touch with his emotions. That's an example of what not to do. <laughs> so that's one thing that I want to share from the, the business world with some uh, religious overtones, because this was a faith-oriented organization. Um, so in the religious world, I think something that has to be, we have to really be aware of is differentiating between when we are moved by um, our emotions in the religious setting and still make rational decisions, effective decisions, to reach our goals. Because sometimes our gut intuitions, as I talked about before, will lead us astray. So, for example, a typical thinking error is, so, uh, is optimism. So being excessively optimistic, thinking that everything will go well, you know, oh, the church will keep growing and everything will be fine. You know, the United Methodist minister who I mentioned who wrote for Intentional Insights, he is uh, working on growing his church, and he knows that he tends to be optimistic. So he, because he knows he has that tendency, despite his feeling of optimism and that God will provide for the growth of the church, he downplays his expectations, and he knows that he doesn't want to just go with his gut and he actually tempers his expectations and makes plans based on uh, less uh, optimistic forecasts than he intuitively hopes will come about. So he plans on contingencies, he puts in more resources, and he anticipates that things will take more time than he intuitively feels. And that is an important strategy to apply 
in the religious settings as well as any other settings. Now, you, you mentioned uh, uh, a little bit about just in the example of the pastor and going to church uh, about following his gut. And I know you wrote an article about um, gut instinct. Um, so uh, how much should we rely on our gut instinct versus uh, uh, rational instinct, uh, ration, um, uh, reason to make decisions or to um, – you know, value, uh, trust, uh, validate fact, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, I hear you, Lorenzo. So w an important thing about our gut is that it's the gut, it comes from the autopilot system. So it's the one that grew up in the savannah. And it's the one that we should not trust very much regarding human interactions because it's not, has not been evolved for that purpose. It has evolved for the purpose of protecting us from saber-toothed tigers, for protecting us from snakes, for protecting us from poison. That's what it evolved for. Now, our intentional brain, the intentional part of our brain, that intentional system, has evolved for social interactions and for long-term decision-making. So anything, any significant decision, anything that's significant, any big decision, you don't want to go with your gut. You want to go through a decision-making process that is based on the intentional system. And like I said, I have some tip sheets for doing this that I can share with any, read, with any listeners who email me at gleb at intentionalinsights.org and tell me that they heard me on the Lorenzo Neal show. But some things that you would want to do when you're making a decision, one of these tip sheets uh, goes through uh, what's called a pre-mortem exercise. A pre-mortem is where you, in, instead of a post-mortem, where you look at, you know, afterward and see, hey, what's gone wrong? You know, so that's what the Republicans are doing right now with their efforts to repeal Obamacare, with the repeal of Affordable Care Act, you know, hey, what, what went wrong? You know, something that's much more effective to do is a pre-mortem, anticipating all the things that might go wrong and how you can address them in the future. So let's say, uh, Caleb Pitkin, the United Methodist minister, he could say, well, hey, I anticipate everything will go really well with uh, growing the church and it'll go above 100 members, like it's at 90-ish right now and he wants it to go quite a bit higher, but he knows that he tends to be optimistic. So what kind of things could go wrong? Um, you know, this was before the election and now he's in a somewhat conservative church, so he knows that, you know, there will be political tensions within the church that might cause some members to leave, and that, that's one thing. He is himself uh, more liberally inclined than the church body, so that might be another source of tension. And uh, other, you know, things, he, his wife just had a baby, so that might be something that would put stress on him and in, uh, make him less available for the church body. So anticipate all of these problems in advance and how do you address them, you know, maybe getting more volunteers involved for the time when he'll have to be away for the baby and so on, and uh, thinking about how to address these political tensions in the church in advance rather than just facing them in the moment and being like, well, you know, that's, uh, it's something he could have done beforehand to prepare the church body for these tensions and how to address them. So these sorts of things looking at things in advance and addressing them in advance is really helpful. Then another tip sheet, the other tip sheet that I talked about is actually how do you make good decisions. And that focuses on placing prob on probabilistic thinking. 
So probabilistic thinking is a strategy that involves placing numbers on your estimates of the future. How likely do you think this situation will happen? How good will it be for you? What are the pros and cons of each of these things? And how do you evaluate the benefits against each other? So that's very helpful. Research suggests that that's very helpful for making good decisions because then you can actually get some numbers on them and look at them more clearly than just going with your gut. And yeah, going with your gut is quite problematic for big, significant decisions. All right. Thank you very much. If you're just tuning in with us, uh, we have I have with me as my guest, Dr. Gleb Sapersky, who is an author. He's an academic, he's a scholar, a professor at Ohio, uh, Ohio State, that's right. And um, he's also a coach um, and social entrepreneur. And we've been talking about yeah, uh, making effective uh, or better decisions. Uh, I want to move into the book the big part of what I really want to talk about, and this is what you've been focusing in on uh, for the last several weeks, I suppose, or months, and that is the issue of um, truth and um, dealing with alternative facts, dealing with um, all the issue of um, how folk are, are trying to change narratives in spite of Reality. So I really want to talk about that um, and how are organizations, particularly uh, media, politicians, and in some cases how are churches inadvertently spreading alternative facts. So let's get into that. Uh, tell me how did you come about? How did you get into this field? How did you? Uh, what brought what brought you to study and um, do social activism regarding this particular area? Yeah. So as I mentioned uh, in the early part of the interview, I have always been focusing on two things, on business and politics. Now, I focused earlier in my research on business because that's a much more clear-cut area of how you make decisions. You know, you can clearly evaluate things through money and profit and how much money, you know, how much money you make. So it's, very, it's easier to research in some ways. I focused more on politics ever since this presidential election cycle because that has clearly, to me, become a really more important area just for the sake of our society. I, can, I consider myself, my primary goal is not to make money. My primary goal is to spread ideas that will help improve our society. I'm a science popularizer at heart. So that's what I decided when I saw that post-truth politics and lies and deceptions were so prominent in this election cycle to focus on this question much more. So my, uh, I'm writing a book. My next book is called The Alternative to Alternative Facts, Fighting Post-Truth Politics with Behavioral Science. And what my aspiration is, is to apply the research on decision-making and emotional and social intelligence to the field of politics, which it really hasn't been done yet, in order to help everyone make good decisions help us all as citizens make good decisions about our political future and avoid the kind of disasters we are seeing right now in our politics, and also to change the incentives for politicians as well as other public figures to make sure that they are less likely to lie and more likely to tell the truth. So that's kind of the focus and why I came to this. I, okay, and I do understand <laughs> that 
it just seems like if you're going to be one of those occupations, you just need to be able to master that ability. But um, now, when you talk about creating um, this alternative vaccine and um, how how can we engage them, those persons? What what is our responsibility? What is our responsibility, and what do we need to know to be able to engage with person, uh, persons who are spreading such? Yeah, so that's a very important question. And what we want to do is recognize that we, as people who care about the truth and care about what it is, tend to be actually outliers. So this was surprising to me when I started doing the research. And what happened, so people who are interested in can read up on Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. So he has, and others who have some really interesting research on what are things valued by mainstream conservatives and mainstream liberals. Mainstream conservatives value things like traditionalism, purity, conformism, safety, and security, whereas liberals value things like justice, fairness, equality, civil rights. None of those are about the truth. They don't necessarily, they don't value truth above all of these things. And so people who value truth most of all tend to be outliers among both liberals and conservatives, and especially conservatives recently. So conservatives, so research shows that conservatives tend to be less oriented toward things like fact-checking and trusting the media than liberals. Uh, and that's partially due to the leadership of the conservatives. So due to the Trump effect, trust among conservatives in the mainstream media fell by more than half from 2015 to 2016, according to Gallup polls. So right now, conservatives' trust in fact-checking is something like in the, in the mid-teens, low-teens, something like that. And liberals, oh, wow. something, yes, liberals are about four times as high as conservatives. It's something like in the high 50s. So it's a quite fair statement that's based on research. This is not kind of uh, prejudiced or biased that conservatives are less oriented toward fact-checking and the truth than liberals are. <laughs> so just the facts of the matter are this. this. This is the case. Now, that's something to recognize. And when talking to people, so you'll have, tend to have many less liberals who are like this, but conservatives, you know, especially when talking to them, you'll want to think about, well, what's driving that person? What's motivating that person? You want to have emotional intelligence and social intelligence. You want to figure out, especially social intelligence, you want to figure out what that person's emotions are that are causing them to act in a certain way, and then how do you manage that person's emotions to lead to your goals of getting that person oriented toward the truth. So um, let's say you're talking to a conservative. You think that, well, okay, you, you want that person to be more truth-oriented, but you know that person doesn't intuitively care for the truth. That's not his or her value. So what you do is you, what my research shows you need to do, is orient toward that person's values. So uh, if, you don't know, uh, if you don't know that person well, some safe things to orient toward are corruption and authoritarianism, because conservatives care about security, and they care about liberty, freedom, independence, autonomy, and corruption and authoritarianism go against all of this. So research shows that, for example, some, corruption is the biggest fear of Americans 
I was surprised when I found out this research when I started doing this. Something like 60 plus percent of people are afraid of corruption, whereas something like 40 percent are afraid of terrorist attacks and other things. So corruption is a huge fear for people. Now, what you do in those sorts of conversations is say, hey, you know, first you want to empathize with that person. You want to say, hey, we're both concerned about corruption. Regardless of how much you're concerned about corruption, you're still going to be a little bit concerned at least, or a lot. But you could say, we're both concerned about corruption. It's a true statement, an accurate one. So let's think about how do we address corruption in our political system. Well, if politicians can get away with lying and win because they're lying, we just won't know who is corrupt or not. So we have no idea whether these politicians are stuffing their pockets with taxpayer money and bribing, you know, getting bribes and colluding with businesses. We just have no idea, you know, whether they're collaborating with Russia or whatever they are doing. We have no idea. So how do we address this? We need to make sure that politicians have an expectation of telling the truth and that investigative journalists are trusted who are doing their investigations. So that's kind of, you know, how you focus on addressing corruption. And from corruption, because you both care about corruption and you empathize with that person, you lead toward the truth. So that's one area. Another one is authoritarianism. So, for example, when I go on talk show hosts, um, to, talking with conservative talk show hosts like Bill Cunningham or Scott Sloan, who are prominent, well-known talk, conservative talk show hosts, I talk about how let's imagine a future where there's a politician who you know, says that uh, he, he was uh, elected you know, with Donald Trump, let's say. When he was being elected and he thought he would lose in 2016, uh, in October 2016, he said the election was rigged. Now, after he was elected, but he lost the popular vote by nearly 3 million votes, he said he actually won the popular vote because there were millions and millions of illegal votes cast for Hillary, which, again, the evidence shows that there wasn't. So he was lying in both cases. He is lying in both cases. Now, he also has an attorney general, one of whose best-known accomplishments is suppressing African-American minority votes. And his, this attorney general, Jeff Sessions, is also well-known for promoting the widespread myth of massive voter fraud, which there isn't. Uh, what the research shows is there isn't. So what's the likelihood that this president, if he loses in 2020, that he'll just step down quietly versus saying something like, well, what about all those millions of illegal votes cast for my opponent and, uh, you know, not step down and say, I'm not stepping down. And he has the authority of the judiciary behind him to investigate and find, you know, trump up fake evidence of voter fraud. So what's the likelihood that, they'll step, that he'll step down? You know, what is the likelihood? So you can connect people not caring about the truth and not being oriented toward the truth to authoritarianism. And that's how authoritarianism would start in the United States. So these are connections you can make, and you could show them that their own values, what they care about, about liberty and freedom and about lack of corruption, will be destroyed if politicians are not oriented toward the truth. That, that, that was a mouthful. <laughs> and, you know, as I was listening, the key thing I, I hear is something like an empathy, sharing, mm-hmm. finding your shared space that yep. you could find in a shared space that you could build some type of relationship that will bring about uh, the truth, a lead to mm-hmm. a, a consensus of the truth. The question I, I want to know, and I, I guess I just said that, do we need 
speak truth? We need to empathize. We need to feel people. We need to help people who are not oriented toward the truth already feel like we care about them and their values. Now, the things you don't want to say are, this is true and you're stupid for not believing it. (laughs) That's not what we want to do because that inspires the fight or flight response. That inspires a defensive reaction or an aggressive reaction. None of those are good. Neither defensiveness nor aggression. What you want to do is put yourself on that person's side. Say, I care about you and your values. You have valid emotions. You are a real valid human being, and you have these emotions, and you have these values, and I care about them. Now let's work together to figure out how to reach your values. So you want to convey this consensus, this shared space, this empathy, and then say that let's work together, let's collaborate on something that we both care about, which is the future of this country and its lack of corruption and authoritarianism. Let's say if that person, if, if those are good basic things for that person to care about. Or, uh, you know, you can talk about things like redistricting. Or in a religious setting, you can talk about kind of, you know, something that you both care about within the church context. And a good basic principle is to remember that we tend to agree on much more than we disagree, but we focus on our disagreements way too much. So you want to focus on areas of agreement and areas of consensus and work on figuring out how to reach those areas of agreement and consensus, something that we can all wish our Congress would do much more of. <laughs> so, yes, indeed. Yeah. So working on the validating that person, helping that person feel like you care about her or him is fundamentally important to having healthy collaborative conversations to orient, that help people orient toward the truth. Awesome, awesome. I, I want to close out this last little segment with you uh, talking about um, your organization, Intentional Insights, and uh, uh, how you help people find purpose. So I know as a pastor, that's, I, I try to do that all every week, and sometimes mm-hmm. I wonder if I'm actually accomplishing it or not. But um, mm-hmm. you have developed, if I understand it correctly, uh, a scientific means of doing so. So Share with us about uh, your organization, your social activism with this, and um, the the uh, purpose, life purpose, and meaning uh, aspect of it. Sure, happy to do so. So, and like I said, the organization is Intentional Insights at intentionalinsights.org, and one of the other things we do besides this business and politics is helping people find meaning and purpose. So that's one area of my research that I wrote about earlier before I started focusing on politics. And I wrote a book called Find Your Purpose Using Science, which folks can find on Amazon or on Selfie or other websites. So again, Find Your Purpose Using Science is the book. And this is a book that helps people find their sense of meaning and purpose. I can send anyone who emails me and tells me that they they heard me on the Lorenzo Neal show a free version of the book. It's not the full book. It's a free version of the book, and so the first part of the book. And the book goes through science-based strategies to find a sense of meaning and purpose. As you rightly point out, Lorenzo, church is is a venue where many people find their sense of meaning and purpose, but plenty don't. And plenty have, you know, want to find meaning. Plenty of people who do go to church find insufficient meaning within church settings. 
and other people don't go to church. We have a growing population of nuns out there, N-O-N-E-S, where people are just not participating in organized religion. And like I said, even people who do participate in organized religion often don't find sufficient sense of purpose and meaning there. And so the book goes through ways for people to find their purpose and meaning that are based on research and science, on something that we can fully trust, and it's not in any way opposed to religion. It talks about how people can find their sense of being and purpose within religious settings, as well as outside them, so depending on whatever people want. But science is applicable to all of these. So there are four basic broad strategies to finding a sense of meaning and purpose. One is to, well, first of all, defining this meaning and purpose. That's the thing that causes you to get up in the morning and go outside and do your things. It's the overarching drive that informs all areas of your activities, that causes you to do what you do. And so the first thing to do is to find, figure out what are your long-term goals and aspirations and connect them to your everyday activities so that you make sure to have that drive. Why are you doing what you're doing? What helps motivate you? And the book goes through ways of doing that. The next one is to self-reflect on these things. So self-reflect on ways of figuring out the sense of meaning and purpose in your everyday activities. So you want to be aware of how your everyday activities are serving your long-term purpose. A third one is to have a sense of community and belonging. That's a really important one. So, I mean, all of these are important, but just noting this one. Having a sense of community and ties to others. So, for example, research shows that people who worship, you know, who are equally devout and spend the same time in worship in private settings versus those who go to church, people who go to church have a much stronger sense of meaning and purpose than people who don't. So it's not essentially about the church as such. It's about a sense of community and belonging. So that's another one. And the fourth one is serving others, having a sense that you serve others. So churches provide a lot of volunteer activities, you know, soup kitchens and so on, and, or political activism. That's a way of serving others. And you can, of course, serve others outside of a church setting and depending on your own preferences and your own value sets. So it's a way of serving others, philanthropy donations and so on. So that's uh, what I would that's what the book goes through, talks about all ways of achieving these things and in a whole variety of contexts. All right. Thank you for sharing it. And, and you know, um, I'm finding even um, as a pastor, I'm finding more people are connected. Uh, they feel more connected with organizations that do service and feel like they're community-oriented. Um, not necessarily church, but, you know, especially in philanthropic, whatever, I probably said, I just massacred that word. <laughs> but in their, sure. uh, in their, you know, they're giving out, you know, they're they want to feel like they're giving to organizations that are actually mm-hmm. doing something. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree with that, and, you know, I, I try to encourage my church and, uh, you know, not just to be local mission, but also uh, community mission-minded, so we collaborate quite a bit with organizations outside of what we usually do, you know, what the church mm-hmm. usually does, and we're finding it to be more rewarding than just you know having our people do something, but 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 connecting with other organizations that probably have more resources than we do anyway. So, but I you know I find purpose in helping other people find those things. So I really appreciate you 
Dr. Glef, for being on the show. I, I tell you, I've got, I've learned a lot just listening to you. And um, I want you, before we get off, I want you to share uh, how people can get in touch with you, contact you, get your, purchase your book, or anything like that. Sure. So folks can email me to contact me at gleb, G-L-E-B, at intentionalinsights.org. And if you email me and request copies of tip sheets and decision-making and tell me you heard me on the Lorenzo Neal show, I will send you the tip sheets and decision-making. And if you tell me that you want a free copy of my book, I will send you a free copy of the book without the ex- part of the exercises that describe how to go through this. So if you want to hire me as a consultant, speaker, coach, you can do the same. Email me. You can find out more about my speaking and consulting and coaching activities at glebtsipursky.com. That's G-L-E-B-T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y.com. And you can learn more about Intentional Insights at intentionalinsights.org. And finally, I strongly encourage everyone, and I hope you too, Lorenzo, will take the pro-truth pledge to help get our politicians and other public figures, as well as ordinary citizens, more oriented toward the truth. The more people we get to sign the pledge, the more pressure there will be on public figures to sign the pledge and politicians to sign the pledge, because everyone who signs has an opportunity to give their address, and so then we have advocates going to politicians and saying, hey, here are these constituents in your area who signed the pledge, and here are these prominent public figures in your area who signed the pledge. You know, please make sure that you sign the pledge as well. And that way we can also monitor politicians to make sure that they're not lying and hold them accountable. So please go to protruthpledge.org and sign the pro-truth pledge. Again, I, thank you. I guess it has been Dr. Gleb Sapersky. Um, and um, he's giving you information. And I hope uh, all of you in my listening audience that you will take the time to go back and visit and listen and um, support what he's doing, and especially uh, those of us, we are all about empowering people and being liberated, and this is definitely accountability, truth, uh, uh, no alternative fact is definitely a way of doing it. Thank you again, Dr. Glad for being on the show with us, and um, uh, we appreciate it so much. We're going to take a break, and we're going to close out this uh, this show uh, for today, and thank you so much. We'll be right back after this. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. Progressive.com makes it easy for us to get the right home insurance. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. 
covered it. February 3rd, 2016. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Listen, I'm excited about every opportunity that I have to do this radio show, and I want to invite you, all of my listeners, to join me as I celebrate 25 years in ministry. That's right, 25 years in licensed and ordained ministry. I'll be celebrating that on May the 20th, 2017, at New Bethel Amy Church in Jackson, Mississippi. I want to see your face in the place. Join me. Help me celebrate this great milestone because I'm excited about you, about it, and I want you to be excited about it also. That's my 25th year in ministry, celebrating 25 years of doing what I love to do, and I'm glad about it. So join me. That's May 20th, 2017 at New Bethel Amy Church, and you'll be hearing a whole lot more about that. So don't worry. I'm not going to waste time sharing it, but I want you to be a part of sharing it with me. All right. God bless you. All right, welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I hope that you enjoyed that last segment with Dr. Gleb Sapersky. I really loved it. I loved it. I'm glad that he was able to join us. But listen, as a close out of this show, um, we are in the last couple of weeks of Lent. And I know a lot of you have been celebrating Lent. If you have not been celebrating Lent, you've been doing something. <laughs> We're leading up to this great celebration of the resurrection. I want you to be a part of that. You can join us for a very, very special celebration service at New Bethel AME Church on Sunday, April the 16th at 11 o'clock a.m. I want to see your face in the place there. I'm telling you, you'll be wonderfully blessed by this wonderful resurrection celebration. Now, there's so much going on. Um, I would be, if you didn't know, I'm engaged. I'm a part of some great organizations that are engaging communities, engaging people in social justice and social action. Um, one organization that I'm really proud of, that I'm glad to be a part of, is Moms Demand Action for Gun Safety and Every Town uh, for Gun Sense, uh, Gun Violence, Every Gun Sense. Yeah, Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense and Every Town for Gun Safety. Uh, <laughs> you would think I know. But anyway, I want to invite you to be a part of both of those organizations. If you know someone or uh, everyone knows someone who's been affected by gun violence in one way or another. Um, I share my story about my mom and the most recently my nephew, but this is always a great opportunity for you to get involved and help our legislatures do stuff, do the right things regarding gun violence prevention. We don't want to take away Second Amendment rights, but we want folks to know that you can own a gun responsibly, keep your guns locked up, so that your children will not have access to them and accidentally shoot themselves. Get um, get involved with those persons who are survivors, and you know that they're there. And not, don't just pray for them, but encourage them. So those are two organizations I want you to support. I support, and I think you should too. Uh, again, as we get ready to close out this show, I want to invite you to tune in every week. Um, and uh, if you have missed a week, you can also follow it up. 
we invite you to follow it up um, by simply going to uh, our the radio show, um, Blog Talk Radio Zero Today, and you can catch archive shows. We've been doing this for the last seven years. Oh, man, this is amazing. So you can go there. Also, they're available on down for download on any podcast as well as iTunes, so you can get archive shows uh, on your iPod, your iPhone, uh, whatever else I is, <laughs> as well as visit our Facebook page, uh, Zero Network, and you can do so also. Leave us comments. Give us suggestions on some show ideas. We love to hear from our listeners. We love you. And also, you know, you can support the show if you like. We support. We appreciate any and every bit of support that you do. Help us get new equipment. Help us upgrade and all this stuff. We appreciate all that you do, as well as your prayers and your giving. So you can do so. Um, there's so many ways you can do so. Visit my webpage, my, my personal page, uh, my personal blog, LorenzoTNeal.com, and uh, read articles I share and I write and all those kind of stuff. You know, I like it. But anyway, we're about to get out of here. We thank you again. This has been a wonderful show. Um, so until next week, this is Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I'm going to get out of here. We're going to invite you to tune in weekly, every week, every Wednesday, uh, until the Lord chose, tells us or we get impressed to change. But until then, we're going to get out of here. This is Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Thank you so much. God bless you. God keep you. I'm out. <laughs>